Welcome to True Health Live. We explore and acknowledge basic truths in public health. If you're a student or a public health professional or just plain curious about public health in general, then this is the place for you. Join us. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of True Health Live, where we're talking about birthing support. So what we mean by that is the support that moms and new moms need um, pre-birth, during birth, and after birth. And we have with us today a special guest co-host, Kashia Knight, who is a doula. She's with Honest Doula. So she she is joining myself and our co-host, Dr. Alia Tomsani and Precious Stephanie on today's episode. So Kashia, please introduce yourself. Peace, everyone. Yes, I'm Kashia Knight, and I am a doula with Honest Doula. So part of my services is to be a support um, for the birthing mother and her family um, when it comes to uh, birthing, all things birthing, when it comes to uh, conception, um, during the birthing process, and postpartum. Um, I also offer birthing rights education, so knowing what um, you can, what you have the right to do, and, and what you don't have to take. I also uh, assist with mindfulness, meditation, sound healing, uh, and I also make sure that the mother has a person to to talk to. I'm not. I think we missed that last part. I don't know if it was- the issue with like virtual okay (laughs) well I'm like the best friend that extra um, emotional support because a lot of times in the doctors um, in the hospital they don't offer that emotional um, support they do the you know the medical so that is what a doula is and that's what I'm there for okay great thanks so like I said today's conversation is going to be about birthing support and like Kashia is our expert since she is our doula one thing I wanted to like start off with is like we hear a lot, you know, now like cuz you know using doulas has become really popular in the last several years, right? So one thing I did want to um ask about because this is uh True Health Live and we're about information and informing people, can you give um folks a breakdown on exactly what a doula does and what is the difference between a doula and a midwife? Absolutely. So I will first start off by saying a doula um, is not a midwife. There's often that confusion that doulas um, actually deliver the babies. We do not. We do not have that medical training to actually deliver the babies. That is what the midwives do. Um, We are that companion, that added asset um, where we um, give you uh, instructions on like birthing positions for your pain. We give you um, a- advice on how to handle um, stress and just positioning. And um, we give information. We don't like to give like medical advice. We give alongside what your midwife or your doctor advises, and we give you the resources to make the best decision for you. really important and Alia and Precious jump in at any point because like I said I'm, I'm going to be the question asker because you know, our, you know aside from me our co-hosts are all moms uh, me and myself today and, and um, uh, our honest doula Kashia but normally our co-host panel are all moms so I'm just like what and then what and then what happened and now what so like I'm always like when we have these discussions you know it is a learning 
um, it's educational for me, which is awesome because I like, um, I love to take in new information, especially when it comes to health and women's health and learning about our body. So, um, you know, like as you were talking, it made me think, you know, because a lot of the times, and I'm, I'm, I'll come from a space of, you know, when we're watching like programming, right? And it's like, you know, there's the mother and she's giving birth and then there's the husband and then, you know, the husband is the support and maybe there's the mother of the mother in the room. Um, but when it comes to doula, can you talk about how important it is to have that support? Like when you have, it's kind of like that sisterhood, that sister support, having someone in the room um, and, and, and having people understand like, you don't necessarily have to follow that that programs like picture that we get right um, when it comes to TV and things like that. Like, what you know? Can you explain like why that's important and like you know what that like looks like in the room? If there are like you know the other family members for support, like you know the husband and father or, or mother of the of the mother to be. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So um, doulas are so important because there are a lot of mothers who feel alone and who are afraid when they enter into the, the doctors um, into the hospitals because some mothers have had negative experiences naturally before babies. Um, so they're, um, they're like the, the reassurance that um, that that partner because sometimes some mothers don't have those partners and they are experiencing these things alone and so they feel um, sometimes they may feel pushed into doing things or just feel like they have no say so in their bodies or in their birth so that doula is there to reassure them and give them confidence in saying like hey you have the choice, you have the voice, because doulas, we don't speak for them, but we do encourage them to uh, mothers to speak up for themselves and to know that they have an ally. Because sometimes when you enter into medical arenas where you you, you don't know anything about it, um, you feel like... Um, it's, it's a scary feeling. Like you feel like you have no voice and that you just have to do what you're told because sometimes you may feel coerced. And so that doula is there to assure you like, Hey, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. And that is one of the things I teach with uh, birthright education. It's just about like what you can say no to forms that you can have and present to say that you don't want these things. And um, it's, it's your birth, your baby, and it's your family's decision on how you want to go about that birth. So a doula is very much important because a, a lot of women don't feel like they can speak up or against um, or seek out another medical advice um, when it comes to their bodies and their births. Um, if I can just chime in there, just to follow off on uh, Deidre's question, um, having recently you know, gone through the whole birthing experience, it's interesting because it was a whole completely new, you know, thing that I was navigating. And I actually didn't come across, um, no one recommended or, you know, kind of advised me to seek out a doula specifically. And I think maybe that was due to the fact it was during the COVID, you know, period. Um, so I just, my, my particular question would be, uh, how would you kind of, how have you found navigating um, the COVID kind of, um, you know, time period that we've been going through? Um you know, is there any any kind of like resources that you would recommend in terms of someone, see, you know, helping someone seek out a doula? Um, you know, how do we go about kind of, you know, 
you know, you know, where you, when you have medical visits with your doctor, with the hospital, when you go for scans, none of yeah, my that this is just my experience. I don't know about other people, but um, you know, how 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 we, how do you go about um, getting that recommendation um, and finding someone that you can talk to and you know that someone that can advise you and make you feel at ease. Well, the beauty of the whole COVID pandemic was everything went virtual. So my services went virtual. So I was able to um, assist, you know, mothers virtually. Um, either they would call me during their um, doctor's visit and I would be on the phone with them or they would go to the doctors and then bring back the information and, you know, tell me their apprehensions and what it is that they had questions on. And then I would do the research for them and present them with the best information um, for them to make this is the decision that they wanted to. So with the COVID, it didn't stop this show. I definitely went virtual and became that, you know, text buddy, that FaceTime buddy um, for them. Um, because during the pandemic, it really, uh, they limited visitation. Um, hospitals really don't like to see doulas coming because we um, really, um, we to them, we're the adversary of what it is that they're trying to do. Um, but it's, it's really just giving that patient a, a voice, that mother a voice, you know, that family a voice, that child a voice, um, especially in times where there are an increasing amount of deaths of mothers, uh, black mothers and uh, women of color specifically. Um, and so that need for that extra support, that extra wisdom is necessary. So I definitely did virtually and a lot of doulas did go virtually um, along with that wave to continue to support um, birthing mothers because they were even more afraid because of the COVID pandemic, wondering about their babies, wondering if, you know, co um, COVID would go through their milk, you know, so there was so much um, research that was developing as these mothers were seven, eight, nine months pregnant and, and into um, this pandemic that had just been like a month or two. And so definitely it was the tele- um, tele-advising that really helped. So I would love to follow up with the, um, say it again. Oh, you, I was like, you look, you got a question. <laughs> I sure did. I was like jumping in there. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. I would love to Okay. I would love to hear a bit about the more about what you said regarding being perceived as the adversary, because I think that's a really wonderful segue into the idea of, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but I want you to share maybe a day in the life of how you are perceived as that or how a doula is, is, is handled, if you will, when entering into the healthcare system. And then we'll dovetail that into the conversation about allopathic versus homeopathic interventions. Well, to be honest, all of my experiences with, um, within the hospitals has been a not so good one. Um, I've been met with, um, um, how would I say this? 
I've been ignored. I've been dismissed. I've been like, oh, here, here she comes. Here comes the doula or, or where are your credentials? And, you know, I had to read, um, I had to always tell them like, I'm in North Carolina. We don't necessarily need credentials to do the things that we do. Um, and so they will, some, I've seen also within my doula, um, my doula community that some doctors have dismissed their clients, their patients when they find out that they have a doula because oftentimes, you know, um, I've seen lately, like, for example, um, an increase of scheduled C-sections as early as 36 weeks. Um, I've seen um, pushing for um, pushing away from vaginal births, pushing to just induce labor unnecessarily. And so with a doula, I'm like, okay, well, here's information where you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And so you have more mothers armed with information saying like, well, my doula said, you know, A, B, C, D, D, you know, all these things. And they're like, your doula, you know, so when I've also gone in to meet some doctors and it's been a very much of a brush off. So they see me as um, working against them when in all honesty, my my job is to work with you, you know, to better help and serve this mother um, about what she wants to do, not what you want to do. Now, granted, there is time and space for um if the mother has pre-existing conditions, if there are some health issues that, you know, are, um, are premier that must be addressed, of course, we listen to that doctor. But uh, when, it, when it is not and it's for when you can tell it's for a monetary gain and not necessarily for the um, concern of the mother, then that is when um, that, that rift happens. I can I can definitely kind of. Yeah, like you've said, like you said, they kind of dismiss it is, that you've been dismissed in the past. And yeah, like I said, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even know about the fact that I could get a doula. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't, I wasn't advised by my doctor. I wasn't given the resources. So yeah, that's, I, I would definitely kind of understand your position, um, you know, in a hospital setting, in a medical setting. And could it be? I think like, it's also someone, interesting. I, I just I was gonna say like, could it be like, well, it's just like a respect thing. Well, you don't have the training that I do, so mm -hmm. you know. Absolutely, it is, and you know, really, my my job is there is to make sure that she's okay emotionally and that she is comfortable and that she is at ease with giving birth. Because a lot of times, the doctors don't realize that the pressures that they put on these mothers um, affect their birth directly. You know, their stress, their blood pressure is high, and all these extra things. It's because they are adding stress and enforcing things that the mothers aren't comfortable with. So, um, it, we're supposed to work together, um, and. I'm not trying to be to have their job um, because they don't offer that emotional support. They don't offer that extra information outside of what they want you to do. So, you know, so there's that. Yeah. When you spoke to um, schedule, pre-scheduled C-sections, um, even at 36 weeks, I think that was the thing that jumped out at me. Um, when you think about informed decision-making, right, when it comes to birthing um, and the value of having a doula on hand. Um, so one, I think Alia, Alia makes a really good point. Many of us didn't know that we didn't even consider a doula or understand the differences between doula and midwife. So could you speak to some of the adverse realities that come from having a 
36 week pre-scheduled C-section? Like what are the things that your clients are told um, and how do you equip them with the counterbalance for that information so that they can truly be informed decision makers? Can you, can I be heard? I just want to make sure. Okay, so um, for example, one of the things, one of the reasons why one of my clients had to have a pre-scheduled C-section because they told her her baby was too big. They were like, um, your baby's too big. You won't be able to deliver. Like, and it was, she was a first-time mother, so she didn't know any better. She didn't know big babies are born every day, you know, healthily, sometimes a little slow, but they are born asleep most of the time. From my experience, big babies sleep the most when they're born. But what they do, they put that fear. They'll, they'll say, like, this baby's too big. Um, you know, you'll probably die. I've heard you'll probably die. So they really put that fear within you saying that, well, if you don't have this C-section at 36 weeks because your baby is now eight and a half pounds, you know, um, you'll, 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 you'll die, you know, and you don't want to die, do you? They'll do stuff like that. And another one of my uh, mother, she, um, they, they classified her without testing her as having gestational diabetes just because she was overweight and just because, you know, she had other, um, other issues going on. And so she went to two different doctors and, um, the third one was said, you, you don't have gestational diabetes. So you don't, they, they pre-scheduled her. The first doctor pre-scheduled a C-section and everything for her because they said, Oh, you have gestational diabetes by just looking at her. And so she, um, that happened her first pregnancy. And she said, um, she didn't feel comfortable. And she, when her child was, a uh, um, taken through C-section or belly birth, as people call them, um, her son was going through a lot of um, early medical um, issues because he wasn't ready to come out. So this time around, she said, um, no, um, I don't have gestational diabetes. I do want this vaginal birth. I do not want a C-section. Um, so this is it. So it's about having it's about um, having that confidence. And as a doula, I am there to build that confidence so that mother can say, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way. It's not me trying to convince them. It is me giving the information and the knowledge and the confidence and the assurance to say, this is what I want to do. And this is what I don't want to do. Now I have had mothers who, um, have had C-section because they're like, nope, I'm good with it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to support this decision. So we're going to make sure that you have all the care that they, you know, we ask all the questions so that you are at ease. So I don't, I don't steer away from C-section. I steer toward whatever the mother and her family are comfortable with at that time. Thank you. So I'm going to shift a little bit. I wanted to get into the idea of allopathic versus homeopathic medicine, um, specific to maternal health. Um, so just for the audience, I'm going to define allopathic, right? I think we're more familiar with the idea of homeopathy and what that means, right? That's anything alternative medicine, at least in the, in the Western world. Um, so I actually made some notes uh, just to break it down a bit. So Allopathic medicine, uh, it refers to a system in which the medical doctors and other healthcare professionals pretty much use, like nurses and physicians and pharmacists, they use a medical model. So they're using pharmaceuticals, surgery, and everything that you would envision as the traditional medical hospital system. That all falls under the umbrella of allopathic medicine. And homeopathy, we're familiar with as everything that is not that. 
So using specific herbs and, you know, acupressure and acupuncture and, and, and traditional Chinese medicine. And there's many, many, many Ayurveda, Ayurvedics, Ayurveda. So those are just some examples um, that will fall into that alternative realm. So I know you've spoken a bit about the challenges with the birthing mother in the allopathic system. Can you share a bit about the wonderful world of birthing centers and a more holistic approach to to delivery and and just through even through um gestating what the benefits are to to a more allopathic lifestyle homeopathic lifestyle absolutely um the more the homeopathic um lifestyle has brought in so much comfort and ease um because i have been to some birthing centers where they allow more visitors where they allow um you to create your own birthing environment whether it's candles music um whether it's uh just anything that you need for your comfort um where they're they're there for you and it it, it has Change the the narrative of birthing. It has really increased morale. It has really um, caused a lot of birthing mothers to uh, stand up against and move away from that that um, stereotypical hospital setting and just seeking out midwives. Home births have increased since the beginning of um, the pandemic, and also just those birthing centers where they can just be themselves and not worry about them saying, "Well, I want to." keep the placenta or I um, want to, I don't know, delay cord clamping, those things that are normally frowned upon in a hospital setting. These birthing centers are allowing culture and tradition to be within the birthing processes so that the family are, family is more at ease and that baby comes in more welcomed and in a less traumatic environment. Um, I've seen birthing centers where it's been all dark and just candles, okay? It, it was beautiful. All dark and candles and just um, incense burning. And it was just the most peaceful thing ever. And this baby, you know, was born silently and just, you know, sleep and calm. And it was just most amazing. And also, when it comes to herbs and natural remedies, um, I don't go against if the doctor says you need this medicine or, you know, but if the mother comes and says, hey, I'm looking for an herb that will help me, um, you know, wean off of this, you know, then I'll give those suggestions. I don't go and say, well, you don't need to take those medicines because, again, I'm not a medical physician and I don't want to do anything, you know, that will harm the mother and their baby. For example, I know some mothers are on, you know, um, depression medications and things of that nature. So I don't want to, you know, tell them to go against the doctor in that way. But if that mother says, hey, I need an herb to help with heartburn or I need an herb to help with, you know, constipation or stress or pain or, you know, those, that is when I you know, dig into my archive back here and, you know, give them these options that they can do and tell them how to use it, when not to use it. And I also tell them herbs not to use that will induce pregnancy too soon or, you know, and I give them education on those herbs as well. Um, I offer that because sometimes mothers will Google something and take something and jet themselves up. And so I definitely am that um, preventative um, um, source as well.
It's good that you mentioned about, you know, um, that you have an archive and that you, you're very careful on what you prescribe and recommend because, you know, as, you know, contraindications with, you know, drugs that maybe, you know, the pregnant lady is already taking um, or drugs that are being given. Um, so it's definitely that's that's a really good, um, you know, reassuring uh, aspect as well. Um, and it's just I, I just had a quick question in, in relation to kind of the more natural way of you know choosing to go about it in the more natural way uh, when it comes to high-risk pregnancies so for example you know I, I had a fibroid which was constantly being monitored um, uh, in my case uh, but that kind of in my head you know as a first-time mother again I'm just to remind you know everyone listening that this is the first time I'd gone through such a you know a process so I, I was actually under the impression that there you know the allopathic way of doing things was the only option for me. So um, in that in that sense, yeah, I, I'd like you to kind of, you know, share your thoughts and experiences when it comes to, um, you know, doing things more naturally when it comes to high-risk pregnancies or women that potentially have, you know, either very simple complications or, you know, more complicated ones. So with high-risk pregnancies, um, one of the things I do as a doula is I um, make sure I go over with the with the mother what her high risk is, because sometimes you know there are mothers who are high-risk pregnant who are high-risk in pregnancy. They want home births and they want specific things that they just cannot have. So what I do is I work within that realm to make their experiences their own within that um, within their medical parameters. Um, uh, I do not, when it comes to high-risk pregnancies, a lot of times when mothers think that they can't have a doula because they can't have that the imaginal experience, but I think um, high-risk pregnancies need doulas the most because, again, we're that emotional support, and, you know, when you have that added stress, it could heighten, heighten those symptoms that the mother may have. Now, when it comes to fibroids, uh, what I've worked with a few mothers who have had fibroids, so during that time is when you can, you can heal those fibroids as you are you know with child for example you know um eating health greens and things of that nature so um, with fibroids depending on the nature of the fibroids the positioning of the fibroids and the intensity of those fibroids um those can absolutely be worked through with homeopathic um solutions alongside with what the doctor may recommend. Now, now sometimes, though, uh, when it comes to those fibroids, um, it has to be closely monitored depending on where the baby is. But when, with fibroids, a lot of times um, you can uh, work with your mother through those things and help with, you know, pain and, you know, just healing those fibroids. Um, because I have seen, not from me personally, but I have seen other mothers who um, had fibroids and by the time that their child was born, those fibroids were, you know, had limited themselves because they were really mindful of what they ate and what they consumed and they were on a homeopathic journey um, before, you know, they had fibroids before um, trying to conceive. So they had been trying to heal them um, beforehand. So they continued to do so throughout their pregnancy and even in postpartum. Thank you for that. Yeah. I have a question, like when it comes to the high risk pregnancies, does it depend on like the level of that risk? Like can mothers who might be considered high risk, like maybe like you said, there's some things they can't have. So maybe like you can't have a home birth, but would you be able to go into a birthing center 
or is it not the same because like if you're high risk you actually need to be in a hospital in the event they need to rush you to an OR or there's bleeding or you know because I'm not you know I'm not certain or familiar I don't even I don't know what you know is in a birthing center I say like, I don't know. <laughs> well, so, well, so sometimes um, within birthing centers, they do have that midwife there. But with a high risk pregnancy, they do have the uh, hospital on standby just in case. So even if there's a high risk pregnancy and you already have that birthing center um, set up, because the birthing center has what you need. But sometimes, you know, things may go, you know, unplanned and unexpected and you have to be, you know, rushed to the, an actual hospital. But um, that hospital, is already on standby. Most of the times I've seen mothers who are high risk and do the birthing center aspect, they already have, you know, something scheduled with their doctor already, a just-in-case backup plan. Thank you for that. Um, I actually began to, while you were sharing, what came to mind was just how important it was. And I shared last uh, last week that um, I had two C-sections. Um, both of my children were delivery, delivered during C-section. But prior to that, my fantasy was a birthing center, um, a, a water birth specifically. Um, and when, you know, when I was informed that I, I needed to have a C-section, particularly after my daughter was a C-section, I was, it was almost like guaranteed that I would need to have one for my son. But then I discovered something called um, VBAC. Could you speak to VBAC at all? Um, and I won't even describe what, what VBAC stands for, but I'll, 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 I'm gonna ask you to just introduce that concept and how that could be a viable option and for what type of woman that could be an option for. Yes, so VBAC is vaginal birth after C-section. So a lot of times, um, once you have the medical arena says after you've had one C-section, that's how you have to have the rest of your babies, which is just not true. What they do is they um, they lump you in. They don't even try to explore it like, oh, well, you had a C-section because of these complications, then you're definitely going to have them again, which is not true because every pregnancy is different. Even if it's your same body, you go through different things. Your body's experience and evolves between those pregnancies. So um, the VBAC, um, you can definitely have a vaginal birth after C-section, but it all depends on you know, the nature of your health and what was the cause for that specific C-section. So it really does vary between mothers and it varies between her um, her health. For example, the, my um, client who, who they wrote off and said she had gestational diabetes, they... Um, they told her that she had to have a C-section because she had a C-section the first time um, because she had blood. She was blood clotting. Um, but this time around, after, you know, her, her son, she began to take, you know, blood thinners and do those things in advance and just really work on her health where, you know, those things weren't an issue and where they could be monitored closely. So she um, with her confidence and with her strength, she's like, you know what? I want to have a vaginal birth after the C-section because um, the first time, you know, I could have had it. They didn't even give me a chance, you know, and I want this chance. So it's all about what the mother feels comfortable doing, what her body is saying it can do, and, you know, the nature of her health leading up to the birth. Thank you. I really, really appreciate all of the information that you're providing. Um, 
it just helps to, I hope, I think we hope that it provides uh, extra clarity to all of the mothers to be and, and um, even, even those of us who have already, that season has passed um, to just educate our loved ones and the women that, you know, are coming behind us. Um, Really, really good information. I would definitely agree with what Precious said. You know, even now, you know, I've learned, a, a, you know, a number of things that oh, I, you know, tell myself while you're talking, oh, I wish I knew that. Oh, I wish I had done that. Oh, I wish I'd considered that. Um, so, yeah, definitely really important and informative information. Um, but just moving on a little bit onto kind of um, when it comes to epidurals. So speaking again from personal experience, um, I wasn't really kind of, I didn't really know much about whether or not I wanted to have an epidural, whether I would, you know, consider at the time, you know, in terms of just generally knowing um, the options available to me. So what would you kind of, if a client came to you, for example, and was, you know, just wanting to know some general information about epidurals, uh, what would you kind of advise and what would the information, uh, what, what kind of information would you give that particular client um, in terms of making an informed decision? So one of the things I do as a doula first before giving any kind of advice is put my opinion aside, you know, my bias and what I think should happen aside. And so when I, I present information to them, the, the ups and the downs of epidurals, you know, what can happen and what, you know, the beauties and the joys, because some you hear a lot of like, oh, I shouldn't have gotten this epidural or, oh, my back still hurts decades after I've had my children. So what I do is I give them the education of what the epidural is, where it goes, you know, how it works and, you know, all the, when you can have it. Um, and so some mothers, um, believe it or not, opt out of it. So that is when I um, introduce those phases of positioning and, you know, and relaxation and massaging and uh, just birthing positions to help with those pains that, you know, the epidural would um, numb out. So for epidurals, I just give them the information so that they can make the decision because a lot of times mothers will say, well, what do you think? I was like, well, it's not about what I think. You know, I'm not the one having the baby. What do you feel? You know, what does this research tell you? And I do try to make sure I don't give just the frightening information, you know, to scare them into a specific way because I don't want to be like, you know, the, the medical, you know, advice that they come from. But I do give a fair and, you know, a just, um, 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 insight, you know, from, you know, from um, accredited scientific research, you know, I just don't pull them out of the sky, you know, so I definitely give them the chance and the choice to go over the information with their, with their partners and their families so that they can um, do what it feels necessary for them. Yeah, that's really good, good, um, good response there. Um, but just in terms of like, I think there's this notion and I came to find this out, you know, during the whole pregnancy and especially during the whole, you know, leading up to the delivery um, is that, you know, if you have an epidural, you're not really experiencing, you know, the proper natural birth. And, you know, so I think you go in with this notion and I don't know if anyone, you know, if anyone else can kind of um, experience this, but. Um, you go in with the notion of, oh, you know, if I don't tolerate this pain, then I'm not really, you know, I'm not as strong as I'm meant to be. And you kind of try and cope with the pain and see how long you can go without, you know, considering the option of getting an epidural. Um, also, I think in terms of, you know, mentioning the whole positioning and the numbing of the epidural, I actually didn't realize that that would limit having an epidural. And I think that's something that I would have appreciated knowing. 
having an epidural potentially you know limits the the number of positions you can try when it comes to pushing naturally um and i think that was something that was really kind of um i don't know surprising for me because you know i was limited to trying out one position and i i kind of think back and you know wonder whether or not if i had tried a different position then it would have been somewhat easier also um i know i'm kind of coming at this with a you know loads of questions and um you know kind of wanting a lot of information um but also when it comes to induction um so i i you know i was induced and the contractions after induction were very very kind of intense um so how would you kind of what would you advise again what would you recommend in terms of you know a patient that has to undergo induction for example and then you know whether or not to consider getting an epidural and the kind of you know information that you would give around that kind of a situation well first i would speak to um the whole getting an epidural is not a natural birth or you know you're not really you know my statement is always this each birth is a sacred birth no matter how it happens so when you're birthing and you're having your own experience do not compare it to anyone else's because it is your moment with your child and your family so if you feel like you need an epidural or you need these things you know your body listen to your body birthing is all about listening to your body and having others hear what you have to say about your body so if you know like hey i cannot take this pain i do not want to take this pain don't take the pain do not take the pain do what feels right for you because in all, because you don't want to increase additional stress levels you know you don't want to heighten other issues that could complicate that birth so if you feel like you need that epidural please get it you know if you don't want to get that epidural don't get it and don't feel pressured to do so because you don't want to sit there and within your uh within that you know delivering aspect and just be regretting having regrets you know your focus is bringing this baby you know onto the earth side so it it's really about what it is you seem you feel comfortable with and knowing your body and you listening to your body because you know if you want others to listen to what you have to say you have to listen to what your body says you know and speak up for your body in that way no um i'm sorry like real like quick question um i'm curious like do most of your clients prefer um, the homeopathic versus the allopathic, like pulling from Alia's question about like the epidural and whether you should get it or not, or being induced, and then also um, Precious's um, conversation on you know moving within the established medical system versus you know things that are processes that are more natural. Like in your experience, what has that been? Um, like, what are your clients looking for? It's honestly been a mixture. And I've noticed that a lot of the mothers who want to do the epidural or who <clears throat> who want to have the C-section are ashamed of that, you know, because now it's like all the craze like, oh, you don't have to listen to the doctors. Oh, you don't have to be natural like they so they feel ashamed. Like, wait a minute. I want the C-section. I want the epidural. So it's a mixture of both. But it's been, it's been a kind of a quiet shame when they want to adhere to the allopathic methods. And I'm like, hey. 
let's do this. But let's make sure when you do that route that it's correct, it's not rushed, and that you are heard within that realm. Because even though you choose this path, it is your voice. They are of service to you. So you still need to uh, be able to, you know, have that voice when you need to. So I've seen a mixture of both, but more so the, the quiet shame of wanting to, you know, go the allopathic route, which there should be no shame because, again, the mission is to um, experience the joy of birth, to get on the other side, to be alive and to see your child alive, both of you. So that is the ultimate goal here. I know you've spoken a lot about advocacy and patient rights and that being, you know, at the forefront of everything that you do. I believe last week when we saw two weeks ago when we when we uh, were live the last time and we welcomed Alia back, I'd shared that um, when I was in my 20s, I assisted in the delivery of my first my friend's baby. Um, And in doing so, I've always been a, a person who likes to read documents that I'm signing. Um, And when you speak about just being an informed patient, right, and we talk about that a lot as well, what I realized in the documentation then, and I refer to then because even though I've had two children, I didn't read those papers because emotionally I wasn't there. Like I was anxious about the belly and the baby and and I see Alia nodding her head. Um, But fortunately, in my 20s, I did get to read those documents thoroughly. And I think that it's important for mothers to know or mothers to be to know what they're signing off on. Um, even specific to women um, managing fibroids, you know, that, that when, you're, when you're giving authorization, and you can speak to it much more intimately than I can for sure, but when you're signing off to, to authorize a specific procedure, like a cesarean section, like uh, like removal of fibroids, which is called a myomectomy, um, you're also signing off to say, and if by chance something goes wrong and you need to give me a partial or full hysterectomy, do so. And so it's just important that you know that because you can go in thinking there'll be one experience and you'll come out with a very different reality. Um, and not that if, if that's what's to happen and you're walking in informed, then then that's okay. But I think oftentimes we are not informed. Um, so yeah, what have you seen and, and how does educating your clients help them, you know, come to a clearer decision? Absolutely. Um, so I haven't um, experienced that with, you know, them having a, having to um, have that partial hysterectomy, but I do very much so express like, hey, when you're given paperwork, you do not have to sign it immediately. You can take it home and read over it and understand genuinely what is going on within what you're about to sign. And so a lot of times people don't realize like when within these hospital arenas, you can negotiate what it is you're about to sign. They don't like it. You know, they, they will give you... I've seen hospitals like red, red flag a family. I've seen hospitals um, escort families out. I've seen hospitals release you as a client because you're saying, wait a minute, you're not going to do this partially directing me. Your job is to take these fibroids out. And if something's wrong, 
close me up. We'll figure it out then, you know, but they don't want to do that. So I've seen when you, the more advocacy you have, depending on the doctor, um, they, they don't like it and they like, and they will dismiss you. So I do think it is very much important that you read everything that you sign. Um, even if you, even when you read it and you don't understand it, please don't sign it. Please ask and seek out, you know, assistance, doulas, you know, to help you understand what it is you are signing. And doulas can help you have that advocacy where you can even present like a form like saying, hey, this is what I'm presenting to you that says you will not give me a hysterectomy because I have um, in research. I was looking at what was it? The, um, I can't remember. What, I think it was CDC or somewhere where it was a, a, it's been a lot of sterilization going on because of you know just fibroids and you know and, and it was uh, unwarranted you know and it, the excuse was like well we we foresee that it's going to be an issue and you already have two or three children and you or, and or you already have two or three children you can't really they they honestly cross the line in how they you know assume that oh you don't need to have any more children you you're good to go you know, and they'll they'll do that as well. So it's very much important to read everything that you sign um, or, and or not sign certain things you don't even have to sign. Um, and so uh, and present a right like, hey, I'm not going to sign this. I do not want to do this. This is what I will do. So and most of the time that leads with them dismissing you as a client, you'll get a letter um, saying that we will no longer have you as a client because you don't want to abide by our medical advice. So um yeah, I've seen that and or the call of CPS because of that, too. Um, but those are um, um, fear tactics that they use to prevent you from speaking out. And that is why um, a doula is important as well to tell you, like, hey, that ain't right. Or, hey, you're OK. You know, let's find you somewhere else where they'll listen. And I support you and breathe. You did a great job standing up for yourself. What you did was not wrong. What you did was was great because this is your your birth what you and your family see fit to do. Yeah, I see how everyone is off of you. Back real quick. <laughs> so like, wait, everybody, hold on. So I want to go over to the chat real quick. Mama Sequoia, like, she's been talking to us, and I'm, like, looking like, okay, we got to, you know. So she talked about, like, being able to attest to, like, have the, the benefits of having a doula when dealing with mild risk. She's had two unassisted natural births with anemia and severe hydration. And then um, she says, with the support of her doula, a positive and fearless mindset, trusting her power as a woman, tuning into her body, she's had uncomplicated and successful birth. I did have a slight question, Mama Sequoia, when you say too unassisted, are you speaking specifically about unassisted from the, the established medical system? So if you can clarify while well, we'll go back to our conversation. <laughs> and then she says uh, when she had an epidural, it prevented her from being able to tune into what her body needed because it yeah, I've heard I've heard stories about the epidural. Um she got an epidural with her first child out of fear of the pain, only realizing that she didn't need it. Um I had a cousin who who gave birth and she was like, It doesn't necessarily take the pain, it just makes you high. So like people have like different experiences. And she had like interesting stories about what took place after the epidural took effect. So I was like, yeah, I don't know if I would want something like that. But, you know, so if you could just elaborate, Mama Sequoia, on what you mean by, like, the unassisted natural birth, um, and then we'll return to our regular programming while we wait for your response. <laughs> Alia, go ahead. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sorry. I just wanted Kishia to qualify one thing. When you said call into PCS, um, just for the audience to understand what you meant, because I think it has a different acronym in every state. So you said physicians would do what? Threaten to do what? Call into I think you PCS. Would see so you're, saying, you're saying. Child Protective Services, yes, yes, Child Protective Services. I was like PCS, Child Protective Services. Um, they will they will report you for negligence. Um, of the baby within you, and um, also postpartum if you choose not to, you know, give your baby certain shots and things like that, or or you choose not to see. I've seen because of um negative experiences during birthing, um, mothers go to another doctor, and the because of that, and so doctors will say, well, you have to. Come see me, and when they don't, those doctors report them for that. They'll call CPS, and some mothers have had mothers and fathers. When I say families have had um, the police show up at their door, like I'm doing the health and wellness check because you know things like that have happened. Thank you. It's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned that because I yeah I was reading. I can't remember the details exactly, but um, I think there's there's a, there's a law in 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 one of the countries where, by if a if a woman has a, a you know it, you know loses the baby for whatever reason, they come and investigate you know whether it was due to her negligence or it was due to natural causes. So that that's very interesting that you mentioned about the child protection aspect. Uh, but just going back to our conversation. Um, regarding um the i think it was the epidural um and yeah not being able to kind of you know tune into your body etc um that was something yeah that was that's something that again going into the whole delivery uh you know process and you know going through the experience myself yeah i i, I wasn't aware that that would be the case although they do kind of you know, lower the dose will tell you to stop pressing the button to say, um, so that you can actually feel the contractions um, and push with the contractions. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, for me, I know the epidural completely, completely, I couldn't feel anything. Um, so that, that's an interesting, you know, something that I think new mothers or mothers, you know, going through the experience again, that may have not known the first time, it's really important that they do know. Also, again, coming back to the whole signing consent and, you know, pressures, as you said, you don't even know what you're signing away to. Um, and that was interesting because I recall um, being presented with that paperwork when I was literally, you know, um, at the point I was so exhausted, I couldn't think properly. I had like, you know, thrown up all my fluids that I had taken and we can go back to, you know, I, I'd, I'd really like to hear your kind of your, what you've experienced in terms of, you know, eating, um, you know, you know, doctors didn't recommend that I eat anything throughout the whole process, which was almost 48 hours plus, if not, of just drinking fluids, which I ended up throwing up anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, as you can imagine, I had reached a point and then I'm presented with these these papers and it's like, well, I don't even know. I can't even think. I can't even make, you know, a decision, a proper decision. So you just sign away because you're in that state of anxiety, you're totally exhausted, etc. Also, I think that kind of comes and, and precious it, it kind of just to add to your point as well I think that's also paperwork that women that are going through vaginal delivery also have to sign in case they have tears and or if they need to kind of um you know go through uh, and I think it's called an epi, um, episteotomy I think if I've pronounced that correctly I can't remember yeah 
Um, so um, yeah, so that was that's really interesting. But I I I kind of gather that you've got something to say about the whole. Um, <laughs> I don't know which part, but I'll, I'll let you I'll let you respond. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So um, one of the reasons why doctors tell you not to eat during birth is because it's preparing you for a surgery or an emergency C-section. Um, you can't have C-section with a stomach full of food. So they say, don't eat anything. Um, please don't eat. Um, I encourage like eat, please eat. You need your strength, take naps and eat. Um, be, and another thing that is done that I think is kind of, you know, underhanded is they will present those papers when you're in your exhaustion, when you're in delirium, when you're just ready to get things over, when you're really not coherent. And that is why a doula and some even even if a doula is not present in that space, I also do um, something like I train the partner in that education and knowledge as well to say, well, uh, she's not signing any papers right now. Do you see the space she's in? You're going to need to wait. And another thing that I do have and I do do with my clients is before we even go into those birthing stages, we have a birth plan um, that we'll give to them and say, hey, this is what we do want. This is what we don't want. Even in the extremeness, we still don't want this. We still, you know, so you know exactly what she needs in those heightened times where you're not forcing all these paperwork. So even on the birth plan that we have, it says like, we're not signing anything until the baby is here and we're at peace, you know, and if there needs to be a decision made in the heat of the moment, my doula or my, my, my mate, my partner, my mom or whoever I, I designate are going to make those decisions because they know my sound, not under pressure, not exhausted, um, decisions I need to make. Now, that's not to say like in the midst of, you know, labor or whatever, a mother says, I want an epidural and I, and it says no epidural on the, on the birth plan. It's like, no, she wants that epidural. But when it comes to things like signing over, oh, we need to have this, do this, they'll know, and they'll speak fast where you don't understand and it's confusion. So you're like, whatever, whatever, I just need this baby out. Just like, when you have that birth support there that says, wait, no, they're trying to tell you that they're about to, you know, take these forceps and just yank your child, you know, or whatever it is, but they'll use big words to do it. And they'll just have, they'll put a paper in you and sign it. So um, that is another reason why it's important to have birth support or to educate um, your, your partners and your family who are going to be in that birthing space with you on what is going on, because sometimes they'll do it so quickly that you won't even know what happened. And they'll say, well, you signed the paper, you know, and a lot of mothers, you know, um, that, that, that heightens and pushes them into that postpartum depression because they're like, wait a minute, they tricked me. Wait a minute. I didn't know what I was signing on to because they'll say they're quick to say, well, you signed the paper, you know, well, you you gave us consent, you know, knowing that they didn't really give you the knowledge. So one of the things I try to do as a doula before, you know, we get to that birthing part is give them all the education within those realms of these terms that they may use. So they even hear them like, oh, nope, I don't want that. Or, you know, so I like to make every mother that I assist an advocate and more knowledgeable so that she can um, be better informed and help other mothers, you know, or just help anyone and have that knowledge because we should not be um, ignorant to things um, that could harm us. And a lot of times um, medical facilities, they don't, they don't teach you 
the, the education part of it. They just tell you the scientific part of it. And it's usually big words and concludes with, or you're going to die, you know? So it's, it's really, it's really more important. And I feel like more medical institutions should know if you are honest and you give more information, the ups and the downs, um, the, your, your, your patients and your mothers will, you know, will trust you more, will have more, be more at ease. And they will, some will actually choose the allopathic method. Like they will be right with you, you know, because everybody's not for the homeopathic realm. But when you choose this honesty and you choose coercion, they're going, they're going to, they're going to veer away. So. I definitely agree to that. I think transparency, you know, being transparent about everything will that in that in you know by doing that you'll regain you'll regain um trust if if the if you know the patients have an element of mistrust there and you know you'll bring about confidence which i think is de- definitely something that we need um and you spoke to something that i actually was going to come back to and bring in because i think it's really important and that's the education of either the partner or you know the support a person that the the mother to be uh, will be you know has elected and i think it's especially important in the case of where you have you know a male partner and you know the fact that they can be completely you know they can completely underestimate the whole process you know they've not they completely unaware um so i think it's really important um and i was just going to ask you do you kind of offer like um uh, you know a couple a, a couple session where when you you know conduct your kind of um you know um the sessions that you do have with pa- with clients and patients and have you have you experienced any kind of kind of what's the what's the word I want to use to that any kind of challenges would be um so I haven't experienced any kind of challenges but what, what I do like to do is during those times where like a month or two leading up to the birth uh when I do um uh pain relief positioning and I do the with the partner they do that, you know, if there is a partner present there or um, a, bir- a support person that they're going to have in the room, I, they do it. I instruct them. I show them how to do, you know, the proper positionings, the different everything. So they are hands on. They are there for that, Be- especially because um, with the pandemic, sometimes they limit the numbers. It depends on the place you go. So it may not be me, you know, if they have a spouse, I'm not, I don't want to be there. I want the spouse to be there. So I educate the spouse with the mother there and, um, and popular to conjure belief, um, those partners are just as much as interested, you know, and they have questions, too, um, because, you know, they don't know as well. So I definitely do do um, partner or uh, support um, um, education because everybody needs to know everybody that's involved in this birth needs to know what's going on, how to um, how to touch the mother. Right. How to do the points. Right. How to calm, how to breathe, how to help her lean. All of those things, um, because, you know, we're all our, our goal is to get this baby to the other side and have mama there on the other side to meet, too. So it's it's definitely us a group thing. It's a familiar thing. It's a family thing. Um, it's a it's a communal thing. So, of course. Yes. Thanks for that share. I want to like pop over back to the chat really quick. Um, and just uh, Mama Sequoia clarified. She said, yes, unassisted, meaning um, without the assistance of the hospital or medical doctor. So that's awesome. Um, and greetings. We, we said in the chat, so greetings to Chikuya and Aquia Bisa. Thank you for joining us in the space. Um, Mama Sequoia also said, and clearly she's Mama, Mama Sequoia, <laughs> she said uh, she was fully prepared in case of an emergency. Um, she had a birthing plan and was confident due to the, the support 
from the family and doula. And that's exactly why, you know, the, the title of the show is like birthing support, like really talking about the support that's needed pre, during, and after um, the birthing experience, because it's not just like a one and done. Oh, baby's here. Bye. You know, it, it's a whole process. Um, and then uh, she also shared like, you know, so thank you to, to you, uh, Kashia Honest Doula, for speaking to this. Um, and she said, um, I wish I had a doula for my first birth because I was incoherent to the point I didn't realize or understand why my child wasn't in the room with me. Um, so interesting. And and um, and uh, she also says like her partner and, her, and her, she and her partner would have benefited greatly having a doula there to inform us of what to expect, um, especially when you're becoming a parent for the first time. Um, and, 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 you know, and to that point, I was asked, I was, I wanted to ask because you talked about like positioning and points. Can you like explain or like share what some of the, what that means? Like, what are some of the best positions, right? Because I've heard that that supine position is actually counterproductive to childbirth, but that's what we normally see. Legs, you know, on your back, legs up in the air, push, you know, but I've also seen like women, like literally like pull their babies out, like squatting, like it beautiful you know so can you share with some with us some of those positions and the best positions and and also like explain what some of the points are that you mentioned well honestly the best position is what position you feel most comfortable with um your body knows exactly what to do um i've seen mothers like lay on their sides because they can feel their baby and this is of course um before epidurals or without epidurals because you're able to feel like where the baby moves, how the baby's shifting. So um, the the least popular way to give birth is on your back um, because it just strains a lot of nerves and it's just you're just not flowing, you know, correctly. So a lot of times it's really good to have that squatting position where then, you know, some hospitals have that birthing bar where you're able to squat or you use your partner and you squat. Like it's just really, or on your hands and knees um, where all that pressure is off your back. And it's just a really good, um, a really good transition for the baby to descend down into the, you know, the birthing canal. So honestly, there is no right or wrong birthing position. It all depends on the positioning of your baby. How is your baby, um, facing frontward or backwards is it you know it's all about how your baby's positioning and what you feel needs to happen because a lot of times I've seen um you know you'll see nurses like get on your back and the mom's like no I can't like I need to be right here and they're like no you need to be on your back I said no she needs to be right here she knows exactly where she needs to be and you know and the and when that happened the baby was born you know came out the right way but she was sideways you know so she knew exactly what the baby you know positioning was and she could feel like nope this is you know not necessarily where I need to be so the best birthing position I would say is your body telling you and and, and also it depends on where the baby is positioning that's why that's where doctors can be a, a, um, a benefit and tell you, you know, if they're working with you, where the baby is positioning. I have seen midwives in hospital settings who are more accommodating of that, right? And um, I love midwives in, in doctor settings because they really are like, 
We're going to let her hang, let the doula, let the birthing, you know, birth support handle it until we absolutely need to step in. You know, they'll let the birthing experience happen um, and they'll, they'll just be like, you need, you need cold water. What do you need? You know, they're, they're, they're really there. They're like an advisory looking over as the mother, you know, has that baby, you know, how she sees fit. So, and the, the points I was discussing are that relieve pain. Um, so it's either like in your feet, you can get massages, you know, there's specific points within your, you know, your feet, your arms, your hands, you know, that really help to relieve um, those, those, those pains. So, you know, I'm massaging, I'm rubbing, you know, I'm doing all ice chips, water, whatever, affirmations, you know, so sometimes we even make, um, um, you know, birth boards, you know, where we, we, we make words, you, know, you are kind, you are strong, your body's good, you know, all those things. So just that reassuring aspect. So, yeah. Yes, like the help. You are kind, you are smart, <laughs> you are important. <laughs> um, so I'm getting reports that my volume is low, so I'm going to try to speak louder. It's so interesting because we're like in our own little incubator. But when it projects like to online, it kind of it's like I'm like, so I'm going to speak louder. Also, like clearly, as you've been seeing, we're having some technical difficulties. Like this is the nature of being virtual. So, uh, Ima Precious, uh, thank you for joining us. And she'll be back when we return in two weeks. We're going to continue our conversations on maternal health. But um, she gives her her love and her thanks to everyone. Um, But we'll continue our conversation here. Um, I just want to acknowledge everyone in the chat, and there's, we've got some questions. <laughs> so um, uh, Sequoia says, like, laying on the back was the worst position mm-hmm. for her. Um, and, and I wonder, like, and you can, you know, share if you feel comfortable. Like, did you do that for all um, all births, like the, the supine position, or did you kind of find, like, as you, you know, d- discovered, you know, that we're more informed through each birth, like, did, did you shift? Also, um, Zach Latimer, please, Brother Zach, he says, does the man need to be present for this? So I think this is a question to you, um, Honest Dula. And, and also, Alias, you know, share your, your birthing experience as well. But he asked, like, does the man need to be present for this? I heard it's a, a very disgusting experience asking for a friend. <laughs> well. Well, it honestly depends on um, what that family wants to do. Um, so, if the if the if the woman wants the man present and he's practiced these birthing, you know, breathing and all those rituals with her, then of course he can be present. But if he doesn't want to be, and they've discussed like, hey, we're gonna have your mom here, we're gonna have your sister here, and you know, I'm gonna be there leading up to it, then that's completely fine. So it all depends on you know what the mother wants, and also what the what the man is comfortable with, you know, experiencing. Because I've had some fathers, you know who are like you know what I'm going to be here leading up to you know and I'm going to be here leading after and I've also had fathers where I was on had him on FaceTime right at the show you know because he couldn't because he did have COVID and he could not be in the room so I was front he was front and center you know with the camera so so it all depends on what the mother wants for her birthing experiences and what the father is comfortable with experiencing and seeing because you know birthing is a new phenomenon to look at when you haven't seen it before. So it all depends on what the family um, is comfortable with. Um, I, can, I can definitely say from my personal experience, um, my husband was, you know, he wanted to be there. And I think it was an 
a very, very enlightening experience for him because we were able to kind of transition after going through that together. In essence, ultimately made our relationship stronger because, you know, we'd been through it, okay, not entirely together, you know, he hadn't, but he could he could be there to witness, um, you know, the, the challenges, the pain. And yeah, it was really nice having that support for me personally. But like you say, it's all it's all down to individual choice, I guess. Um, you know, and everyone's different. And genuinely, it um, and and it, and when it comes to those experiences, you know, the man doesn't have to be, you know, at the uh, receiving, and they can be up where the mother is, coaching her, helping her to breathe, and the doula can be done there. So, it, you know, positions can switch because I've been in birthing rooms where there's been the father and me there, and you know, we have our own specific roles. You know, either he's coaching, or you know, or I'm watching the baby report, like, hey, the baby's crowning, or you know, vice versa. So, um, uh, the the partner doesn't necessarily have to see, you know where the action is. He can be, you know, up at the head with her, you know, assuring her, telling her to breathe um, because that's important. That's a major important aspect is breathing, you know, because when we when we don't breathe, we clench and, and the baby does not come out, you know, but when we breathe, we relax, you know, we were, you know, so you, there are, there are more than one role within that, within the birthing room where you don't have to see the amazing experience head on. Yeah. Um, I um, my, as far as like to the disgusting comment, I don't know, <laughs> but I remember my brother explained like when my niece and nephew were born, um, they, they were born, they were twins. They had to be born by C-section. I can't remember why. I think it was one of those like, oh, you're just going to get a C-section. And she didn't know any better. The mom didn't know any better. And she just like, you know, signed it. And he was in the room cause obviously this is pre COVID and, um, like way pre COVID and, um, they kept saying, like, don't step beyond the curtain, you know, you'll pass out. And I guess they've had, like, experiences because with a C-section, maybe it is, you know, it, it's quite different because it's not necessarily natural. You know, there's a cutting and then we're going to pull out all the things that are there, your entrails, and then we're going to grab in there, grab the baby. So, like, it can be a little bit, like, for people who are not in that field, it can be a little bit disturbing to see the inside, inside parts on the outside. So I don't know if that's what you're, you know, referring to, Zach. But um, you know, I've heard stories like, you know, that that that's what it could be like, and maybe that would be. I don't know if I would be able to to, to look at that because there's there is a curtain. You don't you're not necessarily looking at them cut you open. So um, there's that. Um, I'm just gonna pop to the chat because I also want to be respectful of time. So um, Chief Yuya said, well. Sequoia says the massages are so helpful. And then Chief U.S. says, if you find yourself at a hospital that is more geared towards teaching, um, you must be more vigilant um, because students may flood the birth room. Oh, I'm sorry. Must you be more vigilant because students may flood the birth room? So that's a question to you. So I'm going to, and there's, there's another question. So I'm going to ask them both at the same time so we can just be a little bit more um, fluid. And then the second question comes from Antonio Smith, and he says, um, apologies if this was covered. We, we kind of talked about this, but I don't know if we went into detail. Why is the laying on the back, the, the supine position, um, birthing um, position, the standard, seeing that it is so ineffective and painful? So those two questions for you. Well, so... Um... With your birth, um, they do ask if you're okay with having students in the room. So you can say yes or no. 
Um, and also, and they, they give you them, they do give you that option in advance. So um, you do not have to have the students. And most mothers say no, you know, because sometimes I've seen, I've seen, um, we've heard an experience where um, a mother, she was like, yeah, come on, students. And it was, and then she said she felt like an experiment, you know, and she said um, the more students that were there, she thought it was just one, it was five. You know, and then everyone was saying, well, I think, I think, I think. And no one was listening to her. And so that became overwhelming. And so and she, you know, it, she was depressed. You know, she just didn't like that feeling. So you definitely have the choice of saying yes or no to students within that um, medical space. Um, and it's all where you're comfortable to. And the supine position, it comes from it just comes from like decades of just medical saying this is how you're supposed to do there was no real reason because if you look at culturally and historically in different um in different traditions um there are birthing stools where you are squatting they are um if you look you are um in certain references you are uh, women have given birth at apple trees hanging off a tree limb like it's standing up it's like letting the baby pass down you know you can't pass down when you're Laying on your back, is it's really difficult. And you clench and pinch instead of allowing a smooth transition. So that's why it's not really, um, I would say it's really a Western phenomenon of laying on your back for birth. Um, and it just doesn't really do any really good benefit for most women. But if, but if um, so a quick question. If you have an epidural, um, that would limit your options. Correct, right? Absolutely. And the procedure would be to have you on your back, which is unfortunate for those that may not be able to deliver naturally that way. And that is where you see where you'll have, sometimes you'll have that epidural and you're on your back and they tell you don't eat because you're about to have emergency C-section. Like those are the things that happen in that way. So it's like, you know, we have to really be cautious of like what, what it is that you're getting into and what it is that you know and comfortable with. And they, again, the medical you know facilities don't tell you all of these things that, that are associated with what's, what you're about to go through. So a lot of women are experiencing new things as they are happening. And that is, you know, that's scary, you know, when you, you know, I don't want to say wide open, but you are definitely wide open trying to make these decisions and because they didn't properly inform you. So, you know, doulas are, you know, in resource, you know, we are information givers. You're like, hey, this is what they're not telling you. Goods and bads, ins and outs, you know, the hidden and the um, apparent. Thank you. I'm just like looking at the chat quite active. <laughs> um, so um, uh, Brother Zach is, uh, asked, like, he just heard that feces come all out. It, it, sometimes that happens. I think there was a feces incident during my own birth, but there's that, that's, there's, there's holes down there and things are coming out. And so, and I think that's part of like the eating, right. And having you on ice chips for two days straight, you know, because those things happen. But within feces is also bacteria. So like, you know, you want to be mindful of like mixing, you know, a brand new baby who doesn't have an immune system yet with bacteria filled feces, right? So, you know. Yeah, feces happens, but it gets wiped away. It's like, uh, it's okay. Like it's wiped away. It's it's poop, you know, and I'm used to service. I'm used to changing diapers. So it happens. So it's like, these are clinicians, so they're used to it, like like fluids and 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 things, smells, you know, and you know, all smells, of it. Yeah, like, yeah. Things. 
they're just like, whatever, you know, it is what it is. It's a natural part of the process. Um, and she has been present. I feel like because I've been present multiple times, I would say disgusting depends on the relationship you have with her. It can be sobering as to your real feelings toward her, what you put inside her to gestate. That is beautiful. You know, Absolutely. yeah, like it's not about give the, thanks, you know, like, Oh, there's there's poo, and you know, it, 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 this is like a beautiful experience of of bringing some bringing a new life from one plane to the earthly. Um, and then Andy Stussel says, feces, urine can release, but if you've impregnated her, you've already experienced each other's fluids and chemistry anyway. Your mind will be on the safety of your family, I promise. Give thanks. Um, Give thanks. Uh, uh, Mama said, all those things forgotten once the baby arrived. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. So that's awesome. Uh, what did you say? Squatting birth in a movie, it clicked, uh, like like the gravity. Yeah, <laughs> some down versus down. <laughs> down, not aside, you know, alongside. You know. Right. Down, coming from head. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so I mean, I guess like that was like a, a very like informed discussion. Thank you so much, uh, Kashia Anastula. Um, of course, you can find Anastula uh, at on Instagram at, at Anastula, not the Anastula, Anastula. Um, and give us a little information about like where people can find you, how they can contact you, and I'll also include your information in the description box below so you can reach out to her. And also some of the definitions of things that we've talked about, so like feedback, allopathic, homeopathic, and um, CPS. You know, so we'll, we'll put that. Well, yes, absolutely. You can find me everywhere um, under Honest Doula. Twitter, Instagram, honestdoula.com, Facebook, Honest Doula, um, to book consultation, meditation, meditative sessions. Um, I do hourly service. I do virtual service. I do um, birthright education. So you can find me everywhere. Honest Doula. Great. We have one last question. One last okay. Question. Um, and so would it be wise, and this is from Zach, uh, brother Zach, would it be wise to get the epidural so one doesn't have to experience pain or is it a rites of passage to go all natural? That's an interesting question. Pain is not a rite of passage. Um, so it's whatever your body, you feel comfortable doing within your body. I feel like, um, before any woman decides to get an uh, epidural, that she should educate herself about what the ins and outs of epidural is, you know, after the birth, how does the epidural affect after the birth, you know, what happens during the birth, what you can feel, what you can't feel. So the wisest decision is to educate yourself on the birth, um, on the epidural before getting it. And it's not a rite of passage if you felt pain. It's not a rite of passage if you had a vaginal birth and not, you know, um, um, a, and a C-section or in a C-section instead. So the rite of passage is having a child, you know, so... Um, the epidural is if you want to, but I do advise uh, to get proper education. Talk to a doula about the true ins and outs of epidural uh, before deciding to get it or not to get it. So, Okay, great. And, you know, I think it'll be awesome to, like, have a part two at some time in the future um, to kind of talk about 
be in an interaction between the doula and the midwife. So when you're not in that situation where you're kind of, you know, being um, addressed or like, you know, you're put in a space where you're feeling like you're the adversary, but you're also in another space with a clinician who is also coming from the homeopathic mindset and not necessarily in the in the hospital system. So um, we'll have Honest Doula Kashia Knight back to have some of those discussions. So thank you everyone for joining us. We are continuing all summer with maternal health. And when we return in August, uh, I think it's August 2nd, when we return, or August 11th, when we return, we will be discussing uh, more on maternal health, um, focusing on like advocacy. So we're going deeper into advocacy. So make sure you stay tuned, hit the button down below, the like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mama, tell your, tell your kids, tell your wives, tell your husband. So, you know, we want everybody to follow us out here. I don't know if I said that right. But, um, you know, make sure you bring everybody because we're going to have way more of these like really interesting and in-depth conversations. So thank you again, um, Kashia. Alia, before we head out, was there anything you want to add or a burning question? No, I think that was, that she, you know, Kashia, you know, answered everything really well and really thankful for having you on the, on the on the podcast today. Of course, of course. Anytime. I enjoyed it. Okay. So peace, everyone. As always, send an email. Follow us at True Health Live. Um, I'm sorry, at djaselli.com. You can follow us at True Health Live on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If there is a question that you have or some topic that you want us to cover, you can email us at truehealthlive at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Any questions that you have that pertain to this episode, if you're catching it after the fact, put it down in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. So until next time, be well, everyone. Peace.